heavily, I'm a clown. Welcome back, guys. It's another episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber, the show about Bitcoin and Bitcoin lawn gnomes. Today, episode 21 with Ben Carmen, the developer behind Lightning Rod, an application that allows you to run a Lightning node without having to run a Bitcoin full node. This is an interesting discussion. Ben is a really smart guy, so I did my best to distill everything he said down into layman's terms to the best of my ability so that those of you listening to this who might not have technical backgrounds should be able to understand uh, the vast majority of our conversation. And I do apologize for all the airplane sounds during this recording. I live near an airport, so sometimes it's hit or miss. Like Sometimes I'm doing a recording and there's lots of air traffic. I did my best to try to cover it up uh, in post, but you're definitely going to hear some airplane sounds, so just kind of bear with me on that. All right, let's get to it. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF 1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF dash 1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Ben, how you doing, man? Doing good. How about you? I can't complain other than there's like a million jets flying over my house right now, and it's not very opportune considering I'm trying to do this call with you right now. Yeah, no problem, though. Yeah, so you reached out to me on Twitter, uh, I think it was yesterday. Well, I, yeah. I know you've followed me for a little while now, I think maybe like at least a couple of weeks. I know I've seen you around. Um, yeah, I've been listening to your uh, your podcast pretty recently. really enjoy it, so I figured oh. I'd reach out. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, and, and you shared with me this project that you've been working on called Lightning Rod, right? Yeah. Um, well, I want to talk about Lightning Rod, but first I want to get to know you just a little bit better. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Like, how did you get into Bitcoin? And then maybe, if you can, work that into what got you into working on Lightning Rod. Yeah, my Bitcoin story is kind of funny because I heard about it probably in like 2011 or 2012, but I was like 13 at the time, so it didn't really matter because I don't have any money and never really thought like, oh, you can make money off this. And like in 2014, me and my mom, uh, we grew up, I grew up in New Chicago. We go to this thing called Ch- Chicago's Ideas Week. And uh, Wences, the CEO of Zappo, was there. He gave a talk on Bitcoin once again. Missed my opportunity. I was like, oh, that's cool. Oh, well. And then in 2017, like near the height of the, uh, the bull market, I was listening to a comedy podcast. And uh, one of the guests was on. He was saying that he was like, oh, you should buy Bitcoin. Just hold it forever. Basically just preaching like hodling and like just get off zero. You need, you need to be exposed to this asset. He preached it as like, like oh, when we're going from like gold to paper money, if someone's like, yeah, just take this paper instead of gold, you would call them an idiot. Like, no, dude, my gold's worthless. That's just paper. He's like, now, like Bitcoin might be that next thing where, no, it's not paper that's valuable. It's this thing, this decentralized database. So I was like, oh, I could see that. I may as well buy some. And I bought like 50 bucks that day. Started watching Andre's videos. Next thing I know. I put like a ton of money in and I'm watching, I'm like committing all my time to it. And it really consumed my life for the next like few months. And now, um, and then like at the end of last year in December, 
I started doing uh, some basic Bitcoin development where I was like committing to the GitHub on like the Bitcoin core repo. I have a few commits now and uh, I started doing Lightning Rod because I was taking a class last semester because I'm still in college and we had just had to do a semester long project and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something with Bitcoin because I just thought that'd be fun. So I reached out to Pierre Rochard, Rochard actually on Twitter and um, he kind of, because he's been working on the node launcher at the time a whole bunch and he was looking for a project that would, because um, like his main issue was like, you can't get started on Lightning until you have your IBD done, mm -hmm. you have a fully synced node. So he's like, I want something where they could connect to my node and then uh, start using Lightning immediately. And then once their IBD is done, then they can use their own nodes. So it's like, well, that's a pretty good idea. So I started Lightning Rod, which basically just allows you to, uh, you make your like your RPC of your Bitcoin node open to other people with some security features. And you need to do that because a Lightning, like your LND or C Lightning implementation, communicates to your Bitcoin node through the RPC uh, commands and stuff. But uh, like you can't fully expose it because like right now. Like with uh, Bitcoin Core, there's like an allow IP, so you could allow an IP to connect to it. But if you do that with everyone, they could like screw it up, like just shut down your thing or like run some other stuff that would like stop your thing. Or if you have a wallet on there, they could just spend your money. So you don't want to do that. So Lightning Rod implements a lot of security features that like it'll read the messages and see like, oh, this person's trying to do this. Let's block their IP or uh, this person's just opening a channel. Let's let them do that. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so you just covered a lot of ground. I'm gonna try to try to back up a little bit. Um, yeah. Now I'm assuming that you're in school for computer science. Yeah. Start. I go to Iowa State. I'm gonna dox myself a little bit. Yeah. I, <laughs> say as much as you're comfortable with. You don't have to get into specifics. Yeah, but uh, I start. Um, I'm in my like my next fall is my last semester, and then who knows what I'm doing then. But, yeah. Okay. So you had uh, experience experience working in C++ obviously before. You got into yeah. this project? Yeah, I actually started programming my uh, freshman year of high school. I took a basic programming class that was all in C++ and never really touched it again until um, till I started working on Bitcoin stuff, actually. Interesting. Uh, and yeah. you said that you've had some PRs merged into Bitcoin? Yeah. It, like, like, I mean, if you want to start working on Bitcoin, it's pretty easy. Like, there's a lot of stuff. Like, you just do, like, like I have, like, like I have nine commits. I think like three or four of them are just documentation stuff. But yeah. honestly, just doing those, I learned so much about Bitcoin and like like good software practices through that that I recommend like anyone should just try and like look for something they can improve there because you'll learn so much even if you don't think you will. That's what I've heard is that there's uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a lot of yeah. just manual labor that needs to get done and not a lot of people to do it. Yeah, I was looking through the contributors list the other day, and if you want to be in the top 50, you need, like, less than 20 commits. Wow. So, I mean, we need people working on Bitcoin. Well, I've never worked in C anything, so uh, maybe one day. Hopefully I'll yeah. get there, but I still have a lot to learn. Unfortunately, I don't have the, the computer science background like you do. I wish I did. All yeah. right. And, and uh, so y you covered what Lightning Rod does, but for the layman, they still might not understand, okay, like, what did this guy just say? Now, you mentioned yeah. IBD. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about IBD and what it is and how it's a constraint? Yeah, the IBD stands for Initial Block Download. It's basically, like, if you're starting up a Bitcoin node, you need to download every single block and verify every single block 
to make sure it's all valid and no one's uh, like cheating you. And so you get to the longest chain, the longest tip, so you're up to date with the current Bitcoin blockchain. But um, I mean, and Bitcoin Core does a few things to make that faster. But it like on a standard computer, that could take like a day or two. On a, like a Raspberry Pi, that could take weeks. So it's a it's a good thing like. If you want to start using Lightning Network, you need a fully synced Bitcoin node. So if you want to start using it immediately, you don't want to wait like three weeks if you're using Raspberry Pi or like a couple of days. Like, I want to buy my, I don't know, Satoshi's Place Pixel. I don't want to wait two days. Let's just get it going now. So Lightning Rod allows you to do that. Now there are other things like Neutrino, but those aren't fully integrated yet. And the, the BIPs are still in review, I think. So. Lightning Rod is a good way to bridge that gap until that comes out. And yeah. Interesting. So what you're basically proposing is I run my Bitcoin node, right? And and you, mm -hmm. the user, want to have Lightning. You want to have access to your own Lightning funds without trusting a third-party custodian. So yeah. you're going to connect your Lightning node to my Bitcoin full node, and then you can run Lightning that way, right? That's the idea? Yeah, exactly. Like right now, if you don't have a fully synced Bitcoin node, you have to use something like Blue Wallet, which they'll hold your keys. And that's just, uh, you no know, one wants that. So eventually it makes a, a Lightning Light Wallet instead of, so it's more like a, I don't know, like a, like a mobile wallet on your phone. You're not running a full Bitcoin node, but you can still transact while holding your own keys. Interesting. So what are some of the what are some of the challenges when trying to implement this like what are some of the security considerations that you've had to make yeah there's a there's a lot of considerations both for the node runner and for the user because for the user you you definitely should be trusting the person who's running the lightning rod because they could feed you bad data if they wanted to or they could be tracking everything you're doing so you definitely want to be conscious you don't want to just be connecting to any random person's lightning rod if you are using the service but also as the lightning rod owner, I built in a lot of security features that should protect you. Like it, there's only a few, there's a small list of uh, RPC commands that are allowed to run. And if you can set like, uh, there's a lot of configuration. So if you can set like a threshold, like, oh, if someone tries to do, do like bad things uh, like three times, just block their whole IP from connecting to me ever again. And there's also some things you could do where, uh, because HTTP uh, messages have a authorization thing you can set, so you can set a like a username and password for your Lightning Rod, and so then you could only allow people who have these credentials to connect to your Lightning Rod. And this also allows um, some other use cases. So if you don't want your, anyone else to be able to use your Lightning Rod, but you want to like, I have my light, my Lightning Rod running at home, but so I can have a Lightning implementation on my phone and then connect to it through there and just use the HP HTTP credentials so no other random person is connecting to it, but I can just use it from like when I'm far away. Interesting. Um, yeah, when you, when you mentioned the trust model there, that was pretty much the first thing I thought of when you shared this project with me. I immediately thought, okay, well, what happens if the person that you're, that's feeding you block data is, is feeding you bad info, you know, yeah. where do you go from there? And, and then you mentioned, well, obviously you're not going to want to set a lightning rod up with someone uh, that you don't already trust, at least somewhat. Yeah. Um, ha have you considered like some of the social implications there? Like well, what would happen if me, a business owner, I decide, okay, well, I'm going to set up a lightning rod service and I'm going to feed people this block data. Have you had, have you considered that at all? 
I mean, yeah, so I actually have plans to, um, to add ways for businesses to actually monetize it because HTTP has a, an error code called 402 that allows you to um, pay, like you'd require payment to send the, uh, the messages back. So I was thinking of implementing ways where you like fulfill a lightning invoice. Now you could do like, uh, like 10 minutes of, of usage or like however you want to price it. But like uh, the security model is the same as any light wallet. So like if you're using like uh, Blockstream Green or something, you're not running a full node behind that. You're trusting Blockstream that they're giving you the correct data and that they could screw you if they wanted to, but you know, like you trust the business because they want to make money and they want customers to stay loyal. So they will give you good data. That's the thought process behind it. Interesting. Uh, now, and, it, and it's curious to me because I like the idea. Um, do you think that this lightning rod implementation in your mind, is, is this like a good re uh, replacement for users running their own Bitcoin full node? Or is this sort of a temporary solution for people getting their feet wet or who just want to maybe use lightning to make a small purchase? Um, it depends. It depends how like Bitcoin turns out. Cause like in the future, like, like Luke Dash Jr. He says like, we need 85% of people running Bitcoin nodes for it to stay secure. And then there's other people who are like, oh, like we just need like, I don't know, like we need people running full nodes, but not everyone needs to run it as long as it's like your like your family has a full node or something, you could stay secure. So it depends how, like wh how you think about that, that if lightning rod is like desired, but I think it'll work. It, it should be fine, especially because with Neutrino coming, that will greatly improve uh, like not running a full node securely. It'll like increase privacy as well, obviously. So I think Lightning Rod isn't, it's not a terrible trade-off because essentially just using a light watch, which tons of people already do, and people seem to be okay with that for the most part. So it's not like destroying the, uh, the incentive structure or anything. Yeah. So what I was thinking, um, and, and maybe you've already thought through this, but let's say that you're running lightning rod right and i mm -hmm. want to connect to you and i do and then you say hey you know i'll give you a little bit of liquidity why don't you open a channel with me so i connect to your lightning rod and we open a channel together and then you uh being a bad actor right i'm not saying mm -hmm. that you ben would do yeah. this but you're the bad actor you pull my connection to your uh to your bitcoin node meaning that now my i'm assuming now that would mean that yeah. my lightning chain state is invalid because I don't have the most up-to-date blocks and now you broadcast that my node is out of date and that all the liquidity is on your side right yeah is that is that a potential attack yeah, vector there technically you could do something like that where um, I mean like if I just disconnect you couldn't do anything but if it, like, a previous state was that and then I broadcast it without you being able to reach it you could be screwed but in the, um, in theory, there's gonna be there'd be lots more other lightning rods that you could just connect to, and you'd still have all your own data. So you could then uh, connect connect to someone else and fix it, and like then they would end up being punished as long as you're able to connect to another lightning rod within like 24 hours or whatever. That's interesting. So it's mostly secure as long as you're not like relying on one person for literally everything. If you have some backup, you're you should be fine. Yeah, it would almost make sense that this model would work well if there was like a community hub 
right? Where yeah. people were able to advertise their lightning rods or sort of build up like a social trust system uh, yeah. somewhere to like online marketplaces. I'm actually building a website currently where you can like apply or like you'd like put down like your Twitter handle and all the info about your lightning rod. And then um, you could, and then like I'll like message the person on Twitter and be like, are you a good person? And, it's, and then uh, if they fit the credentials or whatever, I, I'd list them on the on my website. And so then there'd be like a trusted list of like people that I verified I think are good lightning rods. So, so if, I don't know. If you trust me, then you should trust these people, I guess. Interesting. Yeah, I guess you could ask them if they've ever kicked any puppies or anything like that, and that's just yeah. a red flag. Get some background checks or something. <laughs> yeah. So... Talk to me a little bit about the the user side of Lightning Rod. Well, what is it like running this program and setting it up? I mean, because I'm assuming it's it's easier than installing and running a Bitcoin Core. Yeah, it's like it's super easy. It's literally just um like if you're using like LND, you just change instead of like putting for uh like your there's like RPC like host RPC user and RPC password. You just set those to the lightning rods like IP address and then they're like their port they're streaming to and like if they're using credentials you set those so it's literally like no extra setup you would have to do that anyways if you're running a Bitcoin core node you'd set that like to your own IP address and like the port you're using so it's super easy to set up interesting uh so you mentioned uh, Neutrino. Now, I don't know a whole lot about Neutrino. I kind of know the basic idea. But mm -hmm. could you give us like a little bit more explanation like what exactly Neutrino is going to help with in this process? Yeah, so Neutrino is, well, I think it's, it's easier to start with from the history. So we originally had Bloom filters, which is a way for, uh, so like a, a user would send like, if you have like three address, addresses, you'd send like a thing that shows like five addresses to a Bitcoin node and then say, so they would say like oh they need data on these five addresses I'll send it so it's a little bit of privacy because they don't know which addresses of the five are yours but with um, with Neutrino we changed the model where the Bitcoin node ha makes a filter saying like all these addresses are in this block you send it to the user and then if they say like oh I need data because one of my addresses is in that block then the Bitcoin node will send the full block to you. So then you can read and get the, the data you need to perform the actions that your Lightning node or whatever is performing, or just a Bitcoin Light wallet as well. So that's the idea behind it. And it's a really great improvement to privacy because it um, definitely lowers the like the available like tracking data you can get. Because you just, you'd have to, if you want to know like what this person is, what addresses this person is using, you need to track like every single node they request and then filter out like find which addresses that are coming up later in the next blocks that so you could like get data on what they're doing which is extremely hard especially if you're using like proper wallet usage by not reusing addresses and stuff yeah that, that was a mistake that i made when i first got into bitcoin because i did not understand the technical implications of reusing an address i thought oh it yeah. can't be that bad i mean they say never to do it but come on i mean like can't be yeah. that bad and it's i don't easier. care that much if like this person knows i'm reusing the same address but what i didn't realize was that was actually exposing my entire set of addresses you know yeah. by, by by doing that even just reusing an address one time that was something i didn't understand um 
So it, basically what you just described there, uh, I'm a user and I need to query uh, for information on one of my transactions. So I, I query for a certain uh, transaction ID, essentially, right? And, and it sends me that information. Uh, and that sort of that process exposes the address that it's associated with me and the IP that I use to make that query, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. Neutrino is going to, instead of just sending me back that transaction, it's going to send me the block that contains it so that it sort of obfuscates the information I'm asking for. Did I get that correctly? Yeah, pretty much. And like it's, it becomes a, instead of you requesting the data, it's just like saying like, it's asking the the nodes is saying do you want this like all this data not just i want that one piece of data so it like it goes from like looking at like 10 addresses to like a thousand addresses okay um and i'm sure i just given uh your expertise on these matters i'm sure that you've also been following the early protocol that was recently uh announced or proposed uh, I've been looking at it. I haven't really read through the stuff yet, honestly, but it looks pretty cool because apparently, like, we'll decrease uh, like network traffic by like forty percent or something. But the trade-off is like uh, uh, transaction propagation is like doubled a little. Right, which isn't really generally something we think about as a constraint, right? Yeah, I, I think current average network propagation is like it's like t it's like two to three seconds, so. And then it'll go to like five to six seconds, which I mean, isn't terrible. But um, the thing we have to consider though is, is like currently we've been in like the golden age of Bitcoin, I would say, because there's like almost no regulation. Mm -hmm. No one's really attacking Bitcoin. Like we don't like people say use Tor for everything, but like honestly, it's not really needed if you want like to transact. Like everything works fine in ClearNet, but. Uh, if hypothetically we do get to a scenario where like say like like the US government, the EU, China's all attacking Bitcoin and they're like blocking they're like sniffing packets and blocking stuff, then block uh, like or transaction and block propagation could be a problem because we need to go all run through Tor and there may be less nodes and everything. But I think it's still like it still might be it'd still be worth it to increase de or decrease uh like bandwidth by 40% for nodes because then it makes it much easier to run a, a small node so you can increase the number of nodes and hopefully decentralize the network more. Yeah, you mentioned Luke Das Jr. Now, you know, I don't, I don't follow him super closely. I do see his tweets from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know some of the things that he proposes are, are definitely a little bit contentious, especially his idea of decreasing the block size, yeah. which I'm pretty sure would be a contentious hard fork. But I, I'm not... 100% convinced that decreasing uh, the, the stress for an IBD would actually really increase the node count of people who are using Bitcoin. Yeah. I'm not convinced that there's a connection there. Now, there very well might be, um, but how significant would that be? You know, I don't know. I could really only guess. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, decreasing the block size would just be a soft fork, not a hard fork. Really? But yeah, because um, for a hard fork, you need to, like, make the like something that's invalid now valid or so if you're and then the soft fork is making something uh or it's just like tightening the rules so like a, a like if you have a something that has a one megabyte limit going to like a 300 kilobyte limit that would still be valid if like someone distributed a 300 kilobyte block right now so it would still be a soft fork but um from what from like what i follow of luke dash he uh like what he says is it's not really about 
the IBD time now. Like he's definitely saying it's bad now, mm-hmm. but his, his main worry uh, from what I see is like it's it's getting it's gonna be worse and it's gonna get even worse because uh, like he says that the block like your hardware right now is growing at like it gets like 17 percent but better a year at like sinking mm-hmm. and uh the blockchain is growing at like 30 percent a year so to validate that it's eventually get to a point where it's like unreachable mm-hmm. he says and or it won't we won't get back to like today's levels to like 2030 or 2045 or something like that so um the idea is to reduce the block size temporarily so that hardware can catch up and so blocks uh, IBD doesn't get too long and the the blocks can stay smaller so and all that and also there's also added benefits because like the fee market and stuff where you like we eventually Bitcoin will only run on fees and no or no like real block subsidy anymore so that would increase the so we could see like what the fee market looks like if like by instead of increasing like uh, transactions we just decrease the block size and so fees will go up yeah um, so just to comment on the hard fork software thing uh, that's something I I don't know enough about I'm gonna have to learn some more about uh, the specifics of that implementation Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah what you just mentioned there like the fee markets I mean I think that that's definitely worth considering because it does make sense right smaller blocks are gonna mean higher fees are gonna mean more sustainable fee markets in the future Um, but I also wonder you know a lot of times when this conversation comes up if we're putting the cart before the horse a little bit right because I feel like we have to figure out how to make Bitcoin sustainable and usable today right yeah without worrying about fee markets a hundred years from now um, yeah, I, I think it's important thing. to keep them in mind, but should we be, be making design decisions around that today? I don't know. Well, also the thing is, like, fee market will become a huge thing, not in 100 years, like maybe 10, 15 years, because oh, it'll be six, six Bitcoin in a year, and then three in five years, a one and a half in, uh, what, nine years? So mm-hmm. It's exponential, it, right? Yeah, it's getting smaller, so... In in fifteen years, like we already have blocks that have had like over twelve Bitcoin in fees, and so it's like fees will get expensive like soon, like soon if you consider like ten years. So it's something we need to think about kind of now because it's going to happen like within the next decade. So we should be considering it, but I mean it's not. There's all, there's bigger problems than something that's happening in ten years from now because. I mean, there's stuff that's happening one year, like Schnorr and Taproot, Graftroot, all that stuff, too. That is a good point. You know, I, it's worth thinking, too, like, we don't know uh, how the price of Bitcoin, like, in the near term, and when I say near mm-hmm. term, I mean, like, the next 10 years, we don't yeah. know how that's going to change. Like, it could go up drastically, which would mean quite a bit for the way the fee markets are going to develop because miners mm-hmm. operate, for now at least, they operate, you know, in dollars. They don't operate in yeah. Bitcoin in terms of overhead. Yeah, all their liabilities are in uh, dollars or whatever the native currency is, so they're paying in dollars. And yeah, because we like even if you think Bitcoin is like inevitable, it will replace everything. Like, doesn't mean it'll happen in fifteen to ten years. Like, for all we know, like what Saifedean Amus says, like governments could adopt a gold standard and greatly hinder uh, Bitcoin's like value prop. So it could take a hundred years, but so we need to figure out like what to do in that meantime. 
we could have to go through this entire cycle again, you know, while Bitcoin's yeah. just churning out blocks alongside. Uh, we go back to the gold standard. We go back to, like, this pseudo gold standard. Then we go to, like, this fiat system. Then we go yeah. to, like, this liquidity injection, central banking, credit creation loop. Yeah. And then, you know, all the time Bitcoin ticks alongside. I find that unlikely, yeah. but that's definitely possible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, we... We've seen central bankers and stuff. They're most likely going to screw it up and not go back to the gold standard, but it's still a possibility that we we couldn't consider. And like, so the fee market like will be a thing. We'll have to see if it replaces stuff. And I mean, even if like hypothetically Bitcoin stays at like 8K for like 100 years, um, it's like like mining. Well, like we have the difficulty adjustment, so mining will like r adjust and like it will still stay like mildly profitable for the people who are getting the cheapest energy, and it won't just like stop. We won't get some like mining death spiral that like people prophesize. It'll like we have the difficulty adjustment. Two weeks later, it'll be working fine again. And right, well, we almost have to assume, you know, even if uh, the network didn't grow anymore, like even if the number of users didn't grow. Uh, and there was no new people coming in and buying Bitcoin, we'd have to assume that the value would still be going up because of the inflation of the dollar, right? Unless yeah, otherwise Bitcoin would be coming worth less. Yeah. So, yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, if, if it stays at eight, like uh, 8,000, like in today's money, in 100 years from now, it could be like 100,000. So, yeah. Right. W which seems incredibly unlikely to me, but I guess it's fun to, to talk yeah. about. Yeah. I mean, get to stack more sats, fine with me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah then, your, then your grandkids will really get to enjoy that one day. Oh, yeah. When you're long gone. It's like, wow, Grandpa bought Bitcoin his whole life, and it stayed at $8,000. Mm -hmm. But now it's worth millions. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. Hard to convince your family during that whole time, though. They'll be like, boy, this thing's been at 8K for 20 years. You're still buying it? Are you kidding me? Yeah, you're, you'd be <laughs> like the guy still buying Beanie Babies or something it, like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Beanie Babies crashed, though, at least. But, yeah. <clears throat> um, so let's go back to Lightning Rod for a bit. Um, right. Where are you at in the project? Like, what still needs to get done? Obviously, it works because you said you mentioned you're running it now. Um, mm -hmm. What are you missing, and, and what do you need? And obviously, it's open source, so I can uh, post the link to your GitHub in the show notes if, in case anybody wants to check it out. Anybody with experience in, in C plus um, plus. Yeah. Uh, please do post the GitHub because I definitely need people helping me because there's actually a whole lot to do. Um, like I'm in college, but for some reason we never learned about build systems really, so I have no idea how to like port this to Windows or Mac. It's just working on Linux right now. But um, currently, what I've been working on a lot is a like a second app that connects with it. That's looking like a client app. So what essentially you would do is connect your like your Lightning implementation to the client app and then the client app will connect to the lightning rod and what this allows you to do is um, it, you can uh, encrypt the connections then so no one can be like uh, like no third party could be tracking what you're doing <laughs> as well as uh, you can increase your privacy a lot because instead of connecting to one lightning rod you could connect to like 10 and then so each lightning rod is like in one tenth of the picture of what you're doing and also um, mitigates like what you're talking about earlier where like this lightning rod is like they cut me off so now they're going to try to cheat me and uh, like broadcast the wrong uh, channel state. Th that's actually really interesting. So, is it possible to build a, a system in, in Lightning Rod that that could say connects to five random Lightning Rods, or or maybe like one or two of your choosing, and then a couple other that are 
sort of publicly broadcasting themselves. And then they sort of run all that data through a filter and see if there's any discrepancies to see if there's any bad actors. Is that something you've looked at? Um, that's a lot. That'd be a lot more complicated, but it's definitely possible maybe down the line. But currently I'm just working on getting the client app like initially done. Right. But like you, like what you're talking about would probably have to be like a peer-to-peer network of like lightning rods, which could be possible actually. But that's definitely... <laughs> Oh, sorry, that's way down the line. Yeah, there'd be a lot of um, consensus things you'd have to look at there, and that, that'd be that'd be really interesting. But yeah. that's a direction I could see this project heading, you know, later on in the future. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I I would definitely need some more uh, contributors for that, though, because oh, I have no doubt. Yeah, what's yeah. um? Are, are obviously you. Sp- your background or where where you're most comfortable working seems to be on the back end side of things like do you need work mm-hmm. in the front end as well like do you need people helping you clean this thing up a little bit um i mean yeah the front end right now is literally just like a command line terminal thing that just okay so but um i have like in the issues i want to make a qt interface like what bitcoin core has where you can like see stuff that's going on but i've never really worked in qt so that's another thing I need to like teach myself and then implement. So, more contributors would definitely be welcome. But um, also, I mean, I have some like fun experience. Currently, I work um, for my university doing like web development. So, uh, like for the website, that's chugging along, and I just need to polish some few things up, and that'll be ready. Okay. Uh, any plans? I mean, you mentioned that you started this idea with Pierre. Any plans to take a project like this and try to roll it into like his node launcher, or uh, maybe make it like a downloadable in the Noddle node or something like that? I mean, that'd be great. I need to like I need to reach out to those people and get them talking to it. But I mean, like the other week actually, I was talking to Sergey, the CEO of BitRefill, and um, he seemed pretty interested in the project. So. I mean, who knows if they'll pick it up, but they might, I mean, for all we know, there could be a Bitcoin or a bit refill lightning rod coming. Well, yeah. uh, I've had Ascueto and Keto Miner from Noddle on the show. Um, yeah. Are, hopefully they're listening to this. If you guys are, you should uh, definitely reach out to Ben. I'm sure he'd be interested in, yeah. and at least talking to you guys more about his project. Uh, because I know that, that when I interview them, they're they're talking all about all these different projects that they're looking at and, and wanting to integrate into the Noddle to give users more optionality and, and to help make sort of the Noddle as a product more robust in terms of the features that it offers their users. Lightning Rod just seems like a really cool... Because, you know, when I, when I think about this product, or this uh, this project that you're building, mm-hmm. I have friends, right, who are into Bitcoin, right? They, they use Bitcoin, they love Bitcoin, they understand the economics, but, like, they don't want to go through the trouble of setting up a node. They don't want to run the node. And yeah. the only reason that they don't use Lightning is because of all that's involved in getting Lightning set up, right? Yeah. So this makes perfect sense. Yeah, like, in that case, like, your only other option is Blue Wallet, and you don't want someone else holding your keys, so... Like, you're basically screwed. I would rather people don't use Lightning at all. Uh, I, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's tough because the there are certain, like, you know, I, I had a chat with Lightning Koala, like, a few mm-hmm. months ago, and he was telling me about some of the constraints that he had building Lightning applications uh, in terms of getting payment channels set up and getting the liquidity to actually make the applications function like they should. He said his original idea when he first heard of Lightning was to be able to, like, hold out a phone and, and rain Satoshis down on the crowd, you know, by swiping <laughs> yeah. his phone. But he quickly realized that because of the liquidity issue, right, you can't just 
like have everyone install an app and then all of a sudden you're throwing satoshis at them because yeah. without third party liquidity there it's impossible um yeah. and and so i think that there's a little bit of a case to be made for like third party liquidity solutions in lightning um like bit refill but mm-hmm. i I really am am paused for concern, you know, for the for the outright third party uh, custody solutions like Blue Wallet because I've seen what can happen. You know, yeah. uh, my friend Ben Sessions on Twitter accidentally double spent on Blue Wallet IO, oh, really? not on the not on Lightning, but he double mm-hmm. spent like in Blue Wallet's interface and accidentally <laughs> withdrew all his Bitcoin twice. <laughs> Thing. Well, yeah, I mean. Like Blue Wallet, like it, like using like a custodial service, like it's like you don't want to get Mount Gox and lose all your coins, especially like. But I mean, Lightning is something where you're not putting lots of money into, but it's still dangerous because you don't want to lose. Like I mean, losing ten dollars is still ten dollars. But yeah, so that's something that's great with like Lightning Rod or Neutrino, where you can actually use like a Light Wallet and still hold all your keys and be secure that way. That. Okay, so I have some questions there for you, and these are more like hypotheticals. Um, All right. So we, we, we talked about fee markets, and it seems like eventually we're moving to the point where the average person won't really transact with Bitcoin on-chain, at least not in the way that we do today. Yeah. Uh, maybe like an aggregate or something like that. Um, like a comes or online. something. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it seems like, you know, eventually the guy who's buying $20 of Bitcoin every week isn't going to be doing all of his transactions on chain. At least that seems to be the way that we're heading mm-hmm. in terms of just factors of scale. It's almost inevitable. Do yeah. you think that eventually most Bitcoin transactions will happen off chain? And, and if so, you know, um, what are some of the considerations that we need to make around like getting people onboarded into lightning is it is it too early do you think or should they hold off or should they be trying to get in gear now you know to get set up for the future yeah i mean like my mom can't use lightning like it's way too complicated she's not going to know what uh, like opening a channel is or like even like how liquidity works on the network and stuff so it needs to improve maybe it's a layer three solution that we haven't thought of yet or maybe it's just making lightning easier to use uh, I mean, these are problems for like the best minds in the world to solve. Right. But uh, so Lightning will definitely change over the thing. Like we're still on uh, the Bolt 1.0. We still have Bolt 1.1 is still in draft. Who knows what we'll get? I mean, like HTTP is in and 3.0 right now. Mm-hmm. After like 30 years or whatever, 20 years. So there's there'll definitely be improvements to the system and ways to like mitigate liquidity and stuff like we have like lightning loop as well now so you can give yourself liquidity instead of like trying to find someone to give you liquidity and so i mean improvements are definitely happening and we know there's other improvements coming it's just like a lot of a time thing and just letting people like the best minds in the world work on this problem hmm. Do you think that there's like first mover advantage for getting into Lightning now and like building up a channel that that has like a little bit of social notoriety and and getting your liquidity and now like on chain fees are cheap? Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, in the future, uh, once Satoshi provide transactions will not be possible. I don't think. But right, I mean, right now you could do it pretty easily. I, I haven't paid over Satoshi provide in like a year. So I mean, you, if you want, if you're like, if you think you'll eventually be on Lightning, it may as well. And you can may as well open up some channels right now and just get ready for like the future. You don't need to put like all your Bitcoin in a in a Lightning, but you know just throw like 0.1 Bitcoin in there 
and now you'll be ready for, uh, I mean, for all we know, 0.1 Bitcoin will be worth a million dollars and that's all the spending money you'll ever need. Hmm. That's interesting to think about. Yeah. Uh, and even like um, Frag Lightning as well, like you, like this uh, making like peers as well, like, um, like earning, because uh, Lightning Roads, when they are uh, making a route, they take into account like uptime and uh, like how reliable a node is. So if you have a really reliable node, you could be getting uh, transaction fees as well. So you could be like, you know, it's not really profitable to make money yet, but in the future as Lightning gets like way bigger and uh, like there's actually a fee market going on, not really right now where everyone just kind of leaves it at default, that you could be like, for all we know, you could be making money off just having Bitcoin sitting there, so. Yeah, could, yeah. You probably wouldn't run uh, a routing node through through Lightning Rod, but <laughs> yeah, you probably want to have a dedicated uh, Bitcoin node for that. Yeah, that's true, but I mean, I mean, because there's plans to monetize Lightning Rod as well, so you could be making money through uh, transaction fee or routing fees, and then your Lightning Rod could be making money as well, so. That's a really interesting idea. Yeah. I, it seems like as Bitcoin develops more and more, there's growing incentive. Uh, it, it's not just about verifying your UTXOs anymore. There's growing incentive for running a node, for running Lightning, for getting involved in like some of these second and third layer protocols on top. Um, yeah. Just being a player in the space is, is starting to pay dividends. Yeah, it's great. Like, there's so many improvements we've done to Bitcoin just to make it like to further align the incentives in the way we want it. Like, even with Segwit, we were able to align seg uh, incentives. So, like, reducing the UTXO set was like a better move for you than increasing it. And now, like with Lightning, and like even with like Lightning Rod as well, we're making it so running a full node can be profitable. And instead of like in the past, like running a full node was stupid because or not stupid, but it was it was just like an extra thing because you, it, it might cost money to do it, and you're getting like you you could just use like block streams, uh, block right. explorer, and hope they're not uh, like screwing you over. But it's, it's arguably marginal benefit. It's one of those things yeah. that like you don't really need it until you absolutely need it. And at that point, if you yeah. already have it, it's too late. Yeah. So I mean, like you might get burned once, but if the chances of that are point oh oh one percent. Maybe it's not worth the like five dollars to set up a node. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it, it's it's interesting, you know, because and and I I noticed this a while back. Like I don't know what kind of processes you went through when you first discovered Bitcoin, but for a while, you know, I kind of went down the the shitcoin altcoin rabbit hole and just got distracted by a lot of things that weren't important and didn't make sense. Um, the dividends, you know, that I was just mentioning, they get paid to you just by being involved in Bitcoin. And the deeper you get, the sort of the more rewarding those things look like they might be in the future. It's sort of like getting involved in Lightning now is like your quote unquote airdrop for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like instead yeah. of getting this free crypto, you're investing in this network at the beginning. You know, it's hard to use and it's cumbersome and you have a lot of learning to do and all the products aren't 100 percent fleshed out. By getting involved now, you know you're you're sort of making a digital footprint uh, that mm -hmm. that might reward you later on. Yeah, definitely. Like I also like I went through the shitcoin casino as well, and there's some regrettable decisions of not sticking to Bitcoin, but as we all do. But yeah, Lightning is definitely like it's kind of like the it's like getting into Bitcoin in 20, 2009 almost. Like you're not gonna like okay, you're not making money off of it, but you're definitely like you're gonna establish a, you're gonna learn a shit ton and you're gonna establish a lot of relationships that 
you otherwise might not have that could be really beneficial to you. Ben, I want to know what your most regrettable shitcoin decision was. Hmm. Um, well, okay, maybe this, is, this might fit where I had a thought at one point where, like, this is at the low of Bitcoin dominance. I remember just thinking, like, cryptocurrencies will be the future, but it's definitely not Bitcoin. And like, <laughs> I look back at myself now, I'm like, oh, you idiot, what are you thinking? Like, there's times where I, like, I still own Bitcoin, but I, I owned, like, so many shit coins and it's just like playing the casino i actually like made money off of it surprisingly but i just got super lucky no one should do that yeah <laughs> yeah it was if a rising tide lifts all boats right i mean yeah I, I remember the narrative that was really dominant uh you know in like early 2018 late 2017 bitcoin is dinosaur tech you know like bitcoin is the aol of the internet you know it's like bitcoin yeah. is myspace ethereum is facebook or whatever mm-hmm. uh and those <laughs> those comparisons are yeah. so silly and they, they just have no intellectual understanding or merit whatsoever yeah i mean i like to like at least it was somewhat rational at that time i wasn't like oh there's gonna be like 18 monies everyone's using and well yeah this atomic swap i was like okay maybe it'll be bitcoin maybe it'll be monero maybe it'll be nano for like our money and then there'll be like a smart contract platform then there'll be the the uh, supply chain platform and stuff like that. And looking back right. now, I'm like, okay, no, that's not how it works. But yeah. I, I think, thought it was somewhat rational. I, I think that one of the most damaging narratives in cryptocurrency and in terms of like helping like people's understanding of Bitcoin is this idea that there's going to be like multiple winners, that this yeah. is not like a winner take all game. I think that that's really a damaging narrative. And I have a lot of friends in this space who they, they get Bitcoin they understand Bitcoin, they own Bitcoin, they use Bitcoin, they love Bitcoin, they think Bitcoin is the future, but they think a lot of other things are gonna be there too, um, because they, they have like a disconnect between Bitcoin as money and like this idea of a digital marketplace um, where all these other tokens will exist. And partially I, I blame Andreas Antonopoulos for that because he perpetuates this idea of like, yeah. everybody has their own coin, you get a coin, you get a coin. Um, it just doesn't make any economic sense. Yeah, I, I love Andreas, but he definitely does that where, like, he, he's a big proponent of Ethereum, and he kind of, like, says, like, because right now, like, we're in a, like, a kind of a once-in-a-generation like, kind of thing where, like, in the past, there's always, like, kind of one money. Like, gold was, like, the money for, like, 5,000 years. And then, right, because the only reason, like, right now we have so many, like, fiat currencies is because of, like, like uh, legal tender laws and all that stuff. So, I mean, like, it's just kind of like a phenomena that is, we're experiencing now that shouldn't be happening, but it's just enforced, so it's happening. So people think that's the way it should work, because like, oh, there's multiple currencies now, why not in the future? But if you look in history, that's not how it really was in, in the long term. So. Right, and, and I could get into, you know, like the whole divisibility problems with gold, and yeah. that was what brought about different coinages of different metals of different value and all that, but I don't even want to get into that. Like. What bothers me, you know, is when you see things like Litecoin, right? Which to yeah. me, I think Litecoin is one of the most damaging ones out there. Uh, yeah, and I have a definitely. lot of friends that love Litecoin. And I got nothing against those people. But I just don't think that they understand what's going on here. Um, their biggest argument is like, well, there's not going to be only one. There can't be only one. Yeah. And, and that's like the way they think about it is like, well, there, there wouldn't be only one. That wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, it's a lot of like the, I think it's a lot of like the miss the, miss the boat like mentality where like, oh, I miss Bitcoin, but I could just hit Litecoin and then make a fun of money off there. And then yeah. 
and not I'm not like the idiot that didn't buy Bitcoin in 2011 or whatever. That that's a really good point, man. I think as humans we tend to have like this underdog mentality, especially, um, and and I think part of this can be attributed to the way our money system and and uh, low time preference has sort of warped our idea of value, right? Mm-hmm. We tend to always look for the underperformer, for the for the underdog in the market, because if we can get in on that before everybody yeah. else, then we'll catch the ride up and we'll be super wealthy and we'll be super rich. Rather than taking the time to understand like all of the factors at play and really try to become experts before we even get involved and maybe realizing you know, that investing in the biggest player is the smartest, best move rather than bottom fishing and trying to like get rich off of getting lucky. Yeah, it's like I mean you can like do the same thing with the stock market. Like you can try and trade like penny stocks, but like which I have done. <laughs> yeah, but like I mean the best move kind of is just buying S and P five hundred and like other mutual like your index funds and just riding that out. Exactly. Yeah, and and I spoke about somebody with this not too long ago. The real problem isn't that it's hard to make money trading penny stocks. The problem is that you have no reference point for when you get out, when you get in, when yeah. you've been successful, when it's time to like take some money off the table. You get you build up this cognitive dissonance in your head that you're really good at this and that you understand what you're doing and you never have enough information to make the best decisions mm-hmm. for yourself and you end up taking yourself to the cleaners you know you make tons of money you think you're doing really well and then you just lose it but yeah the idea i mean you know and I, i'm not really an equities guy but the idea of just putting money in the s p 500 is that over time it's going to outperform everything else and even most of the best fund managers out there because yeah it's just safer it's just smarter yeah one of the favorite quotes i've like ever heard is like it's easy to get rich it just takes a long time. Like if you if you're a vampire and lived forever, you could just throw some money in S and P five hundred, wait five hundred years, you'll be the richest guy on the planet. But we don't live that long. Everyone else is on the same time constraints, so you got to do it the quickest. So everyone, if everyone else is throwing money in the S and P five hundred, you're not getting rich compared to them. So it's definitely like a it's definitely like what you said. Like humans are just looking for that underdog and trying to find like their winner that they can preach behind that I'll, I'll take you out with my underdog guy and hopefully they'll win but in the end they're not going to I think it's also a big thing too like there's a lot of false narratives going around like with Litecoin where like people think it's being used and or like like oh my sh- my shitcoin is like got all this user adoption and merchant adoption where like like with Litecoin you look at the their lightning network statistics there's not even like 300 nodes so like literally no one's using it and like well, so it's just bitcoin that's being used so like if you look at the actual data it's obvious and you and i understand right having played with lightning as much as we have that sometimes it's tough to get a transaction to go through like if you don't have liquidity lined up just right yeah. uh your transaction is just not going to work and mm-hmm. i can't imagine what it would be like trying to actually conduct commerce on a network that has such fractured liquidity you know what i mean yeah unless you're connected with like the one biggest node um you, you here's my thing right most of the people in this in bitcoin at least that are like technical and like really digging into this stuff eventually they come out bitcoin maximalists and they're yeah. the ones that are pushing forward all the innovation and and running bitcoin nodes and running litecoin nodes or sorry running lightning nodes uh-huh. so yeah slip there but those people they're not doing that in in litecoin or ethereum because mm-hmm. if they're really getting into this stuff if they're really taking the time to understand it and do all of these things that's pushing the network forward they're not going to be involved with those cryptocurrencies they're going to go to bitcoin because that's where all the interesting stuff is going on yeah i mean like even when i was like a shitcoiner like 
I never really found use cases interesting. Like I downloaded MetaMask and I was like, oh cool, I can play Crypto Kitties. I'm like, oh wait, this is just trading kittens for money. Whatever, I'm not gonna do that. But I'd still, I still like bought a Blockstream shirt using the Lightning Network because I thought that was an actual cool use case for like Bitcoin. So I mean, like even if you want to like have the cognitive dissonance that these things are being used, like if you try to actually find a use case, you'll still only end up using Bitcoin. Yeah. So I will say this. Now, when I was mining, I was mining Zcash because just because it was the most profitable coin at the time mm -hmm. for my particular graphics card, I was mining Zcash. I ran it through. Um, what was that that service shapeshift i ran it through shapeshift i turned it into litecoin and i used that litecoin to pay for a vpn yeah. and i used oh hold on and i used that litecoin i used that litecoin to play litecoin blackjack which is oh, really? something you could do with bitcoin but yeah. i just happened to do it with litecoin because i was like i don't want to spend my bitcoin on blackjack i'd rather just use this litecoin that i made mining yeah, like stuff like that. It's like, okay, you can use Litecoin for it, but it literally takes like no effort to make it into Bitcoin. And then you just have Bitcoin that's like way more liquidity, way more security. So why would you use Litecoin in any reason for that? Oh, but but cheaper transactions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, I don't know, man. Well, um, so with Lightning Rod, what do people need uh, in order to be able to use it? Like, I would assume it's probably just a few gigs of uh, hard drive space, right? I mean, if you're running a, uh, a full node, it, it uses like maybe five megabytes of RAM and that's it. It's not like really saving anything to your uh, computer. You just have like a config file and it'll save like a list of banned uh, people if they're like, if you want if you want to ban people from your node. But otherwise it's not really a, like, doing anything too extreme to your computer okay uh so yeah any anybody that's listening that wants to play around with the lightning node you know i've got i'm gonna put the uh github down in the description like i said you guys can check that out and you guys can also go check out ben's twitter uh you want to share your twitter link real quick i'll put that in the show notes as yeah well. i'm ben the car man and everything all one word it, like literally any site that's probably my username so check me out okay uh and you guys can follow him over there and keep up with what he's doing and his progress on Lightning Rod. Uh, ben, anything else you want to talk about, man? I pretty much hit on all my stuff. I don't know. I mean, this has been a really great conversation. Thanks for having me on and uh, getting to talk about Lightning Rod. Really yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, if you are a developer and you want to work on it, please do because I definitely would like some help on doing some stuff. So reach out to me or just make a pull request. Awesome. All right, guys, uh, if, you, if you're a wizard, you know, go help this man out. Yeah, thank you. All right, Ben. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. All right, guys, welcome back. Don't forget, as Ben said, he needs a lot of help with this project. Bitcoin Core needs a lot of help with their project. There are tons of open source projects out there that are always looking for heavy lifters, or even if you're not like a super, super... Uh, experienced coder you can just help clean up documentation or do some of the more menial work uh, it, it goes a long way don't underestimate the value of a small contribution to a project like Bitcoin there's a lot that needs to get done and the more that we can do uh, as small timers uh, working our way up as we learn to better understand the protocol the more pressure that that takes off the backs of the guys who you know are able to really get into the the back ends and the technicals of these things and and make the improvements that the protocol really needs to fulfill all the functions that we want it to fulfill. 
Links to all of Ben's stuff will be down in the show notes. Guys, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, you can find all of our episodes at bitcoinechochamber.com or you can just find Bitcoin Echo Chamber on pretty much any of your favorite podcasting services. Guys, it means a lot to me just for you listening, but if you really like the show and you want to go the extra mile, give me like a review or five stars or a thumbs up or something like that on any of the podcast platforms you're listening to. Hit that subscribe button. It helps my numbers out. It helps my viewership grow, which helps me bring you guys better content because the bigger I get, the more likely I am to get some of the bigger names on the show. They're more interested in coming on and talking about Bitcoin and whatever else it is that we get into. So guys, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week.